0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Listening, hear me. I may not pass this way again. Hello, and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with comedy writer, producer and director Charlie Dinkin. I'm on a mission to help you unlock your creativity. I'm sharing my journey as a musician, actor and writer, as well as offering online content like guitar and songwriting tutorials and chat about creativity. I'm doing this because I know how important creativity is for mental health and I believe everyone has a creative spirit. I want to help you find yours. Join me at robertlaymusic.co.uk and on social media as Robert Lane Music. Thank you. Hi Charlie, how are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: Yeah, not too bad. You know, it's we would say when it's that thing of we're okay compared to a lot of people, but it's still just a massive pain in the arse.
1: Yeah, I uh, my friend said to me that whenever someone else says she just goes, "I'm trying," and that, that is how I feel. I'm trying.
0: Yeah, still going, still going. How has it affected things? work-wise and writing-wise for you
1: well pretty interesting for me actually because uh, a lot of things I was working on fell through immediately and the comedy industry is gone kind of or the live comedy industry which is a lot of my work because I direct a lot of live comedy um, and perform a little bit but mostly direct but then weirdly I think some opportunities have come out of it as well Because I kind of when all my big things that I thought were going to come off in a year or two years or these like huge projects were going to happen for me didn't uh, just weren't going to happen anymore. I was like, oh, what do I actually want to do? And then I got on with that instead, and it's led to some nice things.
0: So has there been some things that wouldn't have happened otherwise? Do you think?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So I so last year. Um, My kind of like big exciting thing that was meant to be happening was that I got this job as the in-house staff writer at BBC Studios, which started last January, which was meant to be like, you go to recordings in the radio theatre, you just bump into producers in the (laughs) corridor, like that was the promise of it. And then obviously that all got shut down. But um, what it meant was I did have more time in my day because I wasn't commuting. (laughs) And I think some of the time people did forget that I worked there. So I did have lots of extra time because of that. So uh, first of all, my friend um, Zoe Tomlin and I, Zoe's like an absolutely amazing comedy writer. She script edits hypothetical. So she and I were like, we would just like to do some writing together and that kind of escalated. And then we made a podcast, um, with Hattrick, which was really cool. That was like 10 episodes and two and a half hours. And I'd, I'd never written anything that big. And then in August, my, um, Boyfriend also was was made redundant a, a, alongside a few friends of ours who also work in comedy and TV. And so we decided to start a little production company together. So we've also been like growing and building this production company, which we definitely wouldn't have done if everyone hadn't been made redundant. So those have been like nice opportunities.
0: Great. Tell me a bit about the production company then and what the sort of ambitions and the upcoming yeah, yeah. projects are with that.
1: So I think the thing with my... Uh, I guess when I talk about my industry, I'm like, I'm talking about comedy in general, because I don't necessarily, I mean, I'm not really a a TV. First of all, it's like, I'm not really TV or radio or digital, or I've sort of touched on all of those things. And also, it's like, I'm not really one thing. So I've been I am, I would say, a a comedy writer, definitely, but also I've directed and now I kind of produce. So I think in comedy, it's like everyone has to do a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. So with, with that in mind, the idea for our company as well is that the company could kind of, there's four founders and it could kind of like fill in for all of us if we had, you know, We're all freelancers, really. So if we have freelance work with another company, we can do less for our company. And if we have more time on our hands, it could be a place where we develop our own projects and kind of, I don't know, it's just trying to be a bit, um, just trying to find a kind of like another route and another way around and another path that you can kind of slip into doing more work. So that's really the aim for it, to be a place where we can make our own stuff and bring our own stuff Mm. um, and own our own stuff. And so far, we've been pretty lucky. We sold a relatively big project straight off the back to make um, comedy sketches. So we've been making uh, 48 sketches in this period. Uh, so that, I wouldn't say that's like our long-term ambition, but it's certainly like taken up a lot of our time at the moment.
0: Is that radio?
1: No, that's digital. So it's for a website. Um, yeah, it, uh We've done similar things before, like I've done a lot of sketch comedy for audio and uh, the other guys have done various types of sketch. But yeah, this is like um, a digital first. So it'll be hosted on social media and uh, on this website. It's called Pulped school there's nothing on there yet there might be by the time you put this out but I don't want to (laughs) overpromise.
0: excellent as you say that there were performers as part of the the production company as well or are you then looking for performers once you've got stuff going
1: yeah so we we the four of us who have banded together are uh myself um Benjamin Sutton who is a producer and a director Kevin Maiolo who's more of a producer but maybe across both scripted and entertainment so he's like quite a flexible producer, and then someone called uh, Laura Shaw, who's a production manager. So the reason we four decided to do it together is because we can do the whole production from start to finish. You know, we can, like, edit the scripts. We can direct and film the shoot. We can edit the shoot. We can produce the whole thing. We can production manage the whole thing. So that's why that unit is the best for us. Um, and, then, uh, and then we hire performers, and sometimes people in comedy are performer writers as well. You do comedy. What comedy do you do? Are you allowed to say? Well, I know what you do. I've like, had a little look at your music and I liked it a lot. But you, oh, cool. you do, do both comedy as well? You made a film. Yes.
0: Yeah, so um I did sort of theatre acting and stuff and I stopped to do for for music for years and years and years and thought of them as two de- very different things. And then ended up in a sort of um, half uh, improvised, half... Um, verbatim theatre piece a few years ago and then that got me into the world of improv a little bit so i'm in in birmingham and there's a group called foghorn unscripted and we were doing long form sort of improvised sherlock holmes and charles dickens stories and stuff
1: nice nice
0: (laughs) and then from that last couple of years i've been involved in a group that i formed with a friend called the intellectuals which is more of the sort of traditional short form Right. Who's line game style night. And then through that, there was a film that a friend of a friend was making, which, again, is a semi improvised thing. And that was sort of my first experience with film, actually. And it's kind of like, this is what I want to be doing, actually. Like, as much as I love stage work and all the rest of it. For me, it's very similar to as a musician in the studio. So I love being on stage and performing on stage. But you have to make this every night fantastic from the start. Yeah. And you yeah, have this yeah. moment am- amazing communion with the audience that night. And then it's gone. It's ethereal, Mm -hmm. which has its own charms. But then this idea of being in the studio or a film set and sweating your bits off and it's really uncomfortable and it's cold and you're miserable, but you're going to make this thing as good as you can. And then it's just going to be there.
1: Yeah, (laughs) and it has a sense of like permanence. I get that. I started in improv as well. And it's like there's so many things about improv that are amazing and amazing lessons and an amazing feeling. Yes, particularly when you start to get a little bit, I mean, is anyone ever good at improv? But like a little bit more comfortable at improv and then you can like feel relaxed on stage and that's an amazing feeling. But nothing for me has topped being able to make a thing and then watch that thing keep existing. Yeah, maybe we all get annoyed with the impermanence of it eventually.
0: Well, you have those amazing nights, don't you? And then if you weren't in the room, particularly with improv, because there's no point trying to explain it to someone who wasn't there. So, oh, then, you
1: can't, you you couldn't even film it. I've seen, sometimes I've, I've been like, I had the best gig of my entire life. It was electric. The crowd were going crazy. I felt amazing. And then I, someone has filmed it and I watch it back. And I was like, oh man, what a load of crap. Absolutely a, not. It's all
0: context, isn't it? And I don't say that I prefer it necessarily, but it's just that thing of, yeah, you can really sweat over something. Because a lot of experience have been in the studio, if you're making music or filming, like it's amazing when it's going well, but when it's not going well, and it's the same sort of things, the tech issues uh, that you have. <laughs> and, you know, all those just, yeah, particularly with filming, standing around in the cold, waiting for stuff to happen. But then it doesn't matter because, you, as you say, you've got this thing that's going to be there forever. And it's it's really
1: this- magical. I think, I mean, I just think filming stuff is I didn't always have the ability to like make complete things. Mm-hmm. I think that's something, I think everyone has like an, people can have like an impulse towards creativity and that's where improv can feel useful because it forces you to just do your 20 minutes or your 30 minutes or your hour and not worry about it. But I think I didn't always have the ability to finish things. And as I've learned through various ways to finish things, there's like no, nothing more magical than being able to piece your film together together to completion, like and you're right, you like will stand in the rain to do it i'll go I like won't eat on a film set, even though I eat constantly because I'll just be like so into the problem solving element of it, and so taken up with trying to get it right, I really do find it like gives me a lot of flow in that way
0: yes, and then the interesting bit with that, and it's sort of talking about the production company as well for a lot of what i've done, it's this feeling of I think it's always been this way, but particularly now you've got to make your own stuff. And I I heard a Rob Brydon quote where he was saying, don't tell people what you can do. Show them what you can do.
1: Well, literally. And I think we even have to reframe it away from you've got to make it your own stuff to you want to make your own stuff. Like that's the end goal. That's the craziest thing, right? It's like sometimes you have people like, oh, you know, I have to do... And I think I felt the same when I didn't really understand it. It was like, oh, how much of this am I going to have to do on my own before someone else discovers me and does it for me? But it's like that the dream is that no one else ever has to do it for you you just get to keep doing it yourself and then sometimes people will give you some money for it so you can live and you can keep making stuff with your friends like that has got to be the best way to do it
0: yeah i had a kind of revelation along these lines not long ago i was chatting to someone that says you know What are your ambitions or whatever? It's really great at a gig when someone comes up and says, I really like so and so song. That really meant something to me. And there's always this little voice in my mind that says, that's lovely, but I need 5,000 people to say that every night. And he said, well, why? This person said, why do you need that? And I heard myself saying, it would give me the freedom to do more. (laughs) that? (laughs) And I was like, oh, is that what I think? But it's like, well, I could do more anyway then, couldn't I? And as you're saying, it's that thing of, if it's just a compulsion to make stuff then make stuff I think we get so het up in this success or uh, validation I think is a word that kind of sums some of it up yeah
1: and it is hard isn't it and the thing is um I think it's one thing to say you want to step away from validation or like I don't want to be famous which I think is true of me but and of many people but Also, I think it is very real that you want to be able to make a living and making a living and having success and financial success comes with scale and and success in that way. So I think it's very difficult to separate those two things. So like, partially yes of course the joy is just doing and even if you were the most famous person in the world you'd like love playing in a basement to 30 people wouldn't you really but at the same time it's like it is the impossible conundrum of the creative industries which is like can you figure a way to make it commercial for yourself and does that involve how much of a faustian pact does that involve in terms of like what you need to do to be hugely successful or are you even capable of being successful at that scale? I don't know. I never have the answer to that stuff. (laughs) I'm not famous or very successful, but I do sort of make a living.
0: But then for someone looking in or someone starting, the sort of list of credits and the fact that you've had quite a bit of um – what's the right way to put it, experience or work yeah, or sure. coaching via the BBC? How have some of those opportunities, I, I can imagine I know already, but tell us how some of those things have come along.
1: Well, so I, first of all, it's like I never um, lent on my creative pursuit being my main career for a long time. Like I really did kind of dream about it, but um, – I was always encouraged to have something else uh, by by like my parents and my school when I kind of said I wanted to do this stuff everyone was always like don't don't like go to drama school or anything which has its own benefits but um I did go and do like a different I did anthropology at university and um I have worked as an anthropologist literally up until last year as an ethnographer for market research and I love that job, but I really like that job and it, it's nice to have a job um. And then I've also at various times worked in communications as well, which I always think is fun as well, because like comedy writing and communications are one skill and one art. And it's like made me more viable in my communications career to be good at comedy and able to have that on my CV. And I think it's probably made me better at comedy to also be out in the world and being around other people and meeting other people. So this year, because I got this job at BBC Studios, was the first year it'd ever been full-time. Not even like I'd never pretended I was full-time when I wasn't full-time. Like I know people sort of think they have to pretend like it's their main job. And maybe you do, but I never did. So this really was my first year of being full-time. And it th- what I will say is it is a huge privilege and benefit to being full-time when someone will pay for you like they pay for me suddenly I had endless time to work on stuff and I was so surprised at how much I could do and I got amazing credits thanks to being there and I also went out and like got myself more credits and like tried to work on other things over the course of the year but if you look at my CV, it's like a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and then like suddenly a lot to the last year or two. But I have really been doing comedy for like 12 years now. It's just the last like 15 months that I've had more stuff going on. But yeah, it makes, obviously it makes a huge difference to be able to focus on it and do it. But at the same time, sometimes I also kind of miss doing that other work that I did as well. I don't think it's like, (laughs) <laughs> um, a bad thing necessarily to do other stuff in your life i think it can make you very insular just to do one thing
0: yeah there's a few things i really want to pick up from there anthropology that's really interesting because as you kind of alluded to study of people that's what performing and communication is all about really isn't it so how much do those worlds kind of cross over with each other
1: i think i spent a long time trying to justify to people by which I mean my parents, uh, why I was doing both. And, and I was never very good at articulating why I felt like everything was leading in the same direction. And I still don't even know, think I've reached the pinnacle of that direction. Like I haven't yet made the thing or understood like why I'm drawn to both those things and how they come together. But, um, I think, first of all, I think anthropology is amazing. And like we should learn anthropology in school. It, it really is like, a method for looking at the world and understanding the individual in society. And totally, totally that ties into comedy, right? That like, you want to find these common things that people care about, but you want to find an individual take on them that at the same time is relatable and like ties into culture. And if you observe the culture around you in a certain way, you have endless fodder for comedy. So I think it, I mean, it just ties in very, very closely for me, but maybe that's just in my own brain
0: <laughs> and how much does that study then influence the work that you've done?
1: yeah, I think it's um so very very rarely i mean i haven't yet done a project which is like about an anthropologist right I haven't like written a script that's like this anthropologist did this thing, but um I think it hugely influenced the kind of work that I do where so a lot of my work is um as a director and as a producer I work with other comedians and so I'll direct Edinburgh shows which involves a lot of like sitting around and talking to them and kind of trying to like draw out what it is that Mm -hmm. they're trying to say and clarify that back to them and that is anthropology through and through which would be like asking those kind of questions that let people speak and then identifying what in what they've been saying is kind of the main thing uh, so, like that's that's like method. Like, I definitely use that across both as a technique. Um, oh my god, I can't even remember your initial. <laughs> that was it, I'm basically. Absolutely rambled off. No, about, that's really um,
0: interesting. The, yeah, it's interesting as well, isn't it? And we, I guess, we can't know, but how much it goes back the other way, and how far into human history people were were doing gags, presumably, as soon as there was language. I guess.
1: Oh, I think so. I think it's such a natural. It. It's so funny that comedy keeps getting like. We, we sometimes have a discussion, which is like, is comedy getting sidelined? The, the BBC comedy's dying. Only 40% of it is comedy, but it's like everyone in the world practices comedy. Like it is part of communications. Like comedians are not necessarily funnier than other people. They just are structuring it and monetizing it and doing it in sometimes a more tiring way. But co- I think comedy is absolutely ubiquitous and central to how we communicate it just it's so fast moving and it's so complicated how it works and it's so culturally specific and different down to like the comedy that your family would like or the comedy you do with your friends or the comedy that Japanese comedy versus American comedy right like there's so much variation and I think as a like relatively academic like problem solving person that bit of it also really excites me trying to figure out like what is the what are the rules in each place and then how can I fit my perspective and my thoughts into those rules in a way that's gonna make me incredibly popular
0: (laughs) and that's interesting in itself and it all creative things but perhaps particularly common as well so you say it can be so different within a family but then you know your best friend or your partner or whatever can both love such and such comedy thing and then one of you can absolutely love this one but the other one completely. be so surely we've got the same sense of humor we, sp- we have breakfast together every morning but for right. some reason there's a block on that and you love it and it's it's great that because i i hope it means there's kind of an audience for everything maybe
1: i, th- I really think there that is. that's why i always think the idea of like a best show at the Edinburgh Fringe, like an award for best show is so bonkers. I know they have a big panel and maybe that is what narrows it down, but it's like the best show to who? The best show to like me when I'm sad on a Tuesday, when I've broken up with my boyfriend and I wanna see a show that's like a woman talking about sad and breaking up with your boyfriend that really (laughs) speaks to me in this personal way. Like That would be the best show to me. It wouldn't be whatever clowning someone else likes. yeah Yeah, i think it's like it's so personal to you and that's why that is why diversity in comedy is so important
0: yes get those as many different voices as possible yeah because something for everyone we've got different stories to tell i'm sorry to interrupt the conversation at this point but i wondered if i could ask if you might possibly consider subscribing to the podcast rating it and writing a review on your favorite podcast provider doing these wonderful things encourages the all-powerful algorithms to push the podcast to new people It's also helpful when I'm talking to potential future guests, as it shows that people are listening. Thank you. When you mention the 12 years then, that are kind of, 12 years in total, but the however many years that led up to the point that you're at now, as you were going through those, so I sort of compare it to my time at all kinds of gigs all over the place, you know, back of cars, sleeping and uh, staying in travel lodges and playing shitty open mics and all that kind of stuff, which, because I take myself too seriously sometimes, at the time kind of feels like pretty, you know, it should be better, that kind of thing. But then as you get past it and you look back and you think, well, actually how much of that was really important to whatever I'm doing now and whatever I end up doing? Is that a similar situation? Were there those kinds of gigs where at the time it was crappy but you look back on it now and either a it's a funny story or b it it gave you something useful
1: yeah i did absolutely did absolutely terrible gigs for a long time um i i was a bit i always thought maybe i was like lazy but the older i get i think actually i was like very very nervous a lot Mm. of the time so I wasn't trying to like travel around and gig as a stand up that much, even when I did sort of want to be a stand up. I always was keen to find another thing to do. So, like, I started off doing improv. I didn't really travel around to do improv because, like, I, I mean, I live in London and it's like there is an improv scene in London. So, do improv in London. It's not so much a traveling, like, not in the same way as stand up or even maybe if you were a sketch act. Then, um, I made a film for the Roundhouse, which is like this school music venue, but they also have this amazing program for like under 27. So I don't know. I think they keep bumping the age up because they're like, Oh, people are not going to be successful as fast as we thought, but they have an incredible, incredible youth program across like all kinds of performance and music. And it's like they have studios, they give you funding, they have camera equipment. So they gave me like 200 pounds or something to make a film. And I made this little film. And then that got shown in loads of film festivals. And then I was like, oh, it's way more fun to go to a film festival than to go to a gig. Like, I really am not that interested in traveling around trying to be a stand up when I know that film festivals exist. And then off the back of that, I got an agent. And I, so when I was like 23, 24, I got a, a big big pretty big time agent and I got commissioned to write a pilot script for the BBC. And so I was suddenly I was like, Oh my god, my dreams are coming true. This is exactly what I want to do. This is amazing. Obviously it all fell through. The the script didn't happen and then my agent like just fully stopped picking up the phone oh no really stopped even responding to my calls and at one point had said oh if this if this doesn't happen for you the BBC will never hire you again
0: oh my god
1: yeah and I just didn't know that that wasn't true now I know that like it's chaos you could do the worst things in the world and come back and do something else the next year but at the time that really put me off for almost a couple of years and I did like bits and bobs, but I really wasn't trying I just was doing it alongside my job. And then um I did a couple of years of going to the Edinburgh fringe only for two weeks. I don't have you have you ever done a show at the Edinburgh Fringe?
0: Yeah, way back in uni we went and did the free fringe with our little sketch improv. Fun.
1: Again, it's I think we only did two
0: weeks. It. I think.
1: Yeah. Um, I think two weeks is the secret.
0: And we did one week where we had like five people show up the what the first gig a guy one guy turned up and we were like oh oh." and he'd run across edinburgh and got chased by a dog and all this to get there so (laughs) so we did
1: that's good effort he really wanted it then
0: which meant we had to do it so we did the show to one guy (laughs) and then by the end of the second week the room was full you know and it's like yeah oh we're going home now (laughs) i know
1: well that's why the month exists and people do a whole month the first year I went up and did two weeks is because I didn't know that people did a month. Like, I just thought you went for as much time as you wanted. Then I went up again and I was like, I honestly don't think my mental health could endure a month of doing the same thing every day. (laughs) And that's when I started to be like, I'm not going to be a stand-up really because I I just can't see myself doing it. And also I had all these like friends and relationships and things who were doing it and it would go completely insane every year mm-hmm. and like everyone would lose their minds. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And then um, my friend uh, who was an amazing stand-up, Olga Koch, mm-hmm. asked me if I would direct her debut show, her like first show she was doing by herself as a stand-up. And I was like, yeah, okay, I reckon I I'd like to do some directing. I'd like sort of helped people with things before. And so I directed that. And then I was like, oh, it's even more fun at all not to even be in anything, but just to go up and like direct some stuff. You get paid. You like don't have to get on stage every night and you can still really feel like you creatively contributed to stuff. And so the year after that, I directed three shows. And then um, that then that more or less brings us up to now. Actually, uh, Olga's show got turned into it. We did it as a radio for half hour, and then that's how I like got intro to BBC Studios about this job. So in some ways a long path, in some ways a quite efficient path. Once I kind of figured out how I could actually be doing stuff and doing the stuff I wanted to do. But then there's still a lot of stuff I still want to do that is addition. This is the very beginning in my mind.
0: Yeah, and that's a really important point as well, isn't it? I think, I don't know about you, but I think when we're younger, we have this feeling of like, by such and such an age, it'll be that, then it'll be that, that'll lead to this. That kind of, And of course, life's just not really like that ever, is it? Particularly with these completely. sorts of creative things. It's a lot messier than that, I think. Of
1: course it is. And like, I do, in some ways, I do wish I'd have known more about how the industry just functioned when I was younger, because I did, I do think I made some huge mistakes and some big mistakes in like my attitude and how I assumed things worked. And that's why now I really try to share that kind of information. Like we ran these workshops in the summer. I really want to do more of that because I think if people don't know just in basic terms, how stuff works, they cannot make it happen for themselves. But at the same time, when I was 23, I did not have the confidence or the experience or, I think uh, probably the right attitude to be able to like actually form a, an enduring career that I hope I'm trying to do now. Maybe not in like a massively Hollywood successful way, but certainly in a way that's like I can pay my bills and I like working on what I'm working on. And I don't freak out when opportunities come my way and think it's going to be the be all and end all. But I actually make the most of it and like do what I want to do with it.
0: Yeah. yeah having that space and freedom to do that stuff is talking to so many creatives for this it's the thing that comes up a lot and particularly for i don't want to say working class performers or creatives but people who haven't got a financial um safety net whether it's the parents or a partner or whatever it is is it an excuse that people might make that make that, that makes it difficult or is that true even talking about edinburgh Perhaps another reason we don't do more than a couple of weeks is because to do a show is going to cost you several thousand pounds if you go through Of it course it
1: is. Of course it is. And I think, first of all, there is a huge problem in the comedy industry and the more you work in it and the further you get, you're like, oh, there really is very little diversity. I know everyone talks a big talk, but like, it is hugely, hugely expensive to come and do it. And that is why I think it's like people who are in it already or people who do have like a bit more privilege and have been able to go down that path, which like I definitely have. It's like we do have a duty also to push back on these structures that exist in this industry that make it impossible for other people to come in. So for instance, like I am not dazzled by someone doing their month at Edinburgh. That's not going to be the thing that like makes me want to work with someone or find someone. I really do try and look, and, and I think relatively successfully, do try and look beyond those kind of like old-fashioned structures. And we always say in our comp- company, and what we've kind of like identified is that the the problem sometimes is like a little bit of a skills gap for people that is nothing to do with their like intrinsic talent or how funny they are or what their potential is. Mm. But it's like they just don't actually have the skill to structure an hour-long show yet which is a thing that you have to learn and you can learn. So what we try and do as producers is find out like what are the things that are stopping anyone we work with making that next step and then how do we just fill that in for them and either like teach them or do it for them. I think think people thinking more like that is the way we're going to get like way more voices out there. Because people, people are getting stopped on the stupidest things. And and things like travel expenses to a shoot. Like we pay everyone's tra- travel expenses to come and work with us. We give everyone lunch when they work with us. I think assuming that it's just like possible and easy for everyone just to get to your shoot wherever it is and not think about that is just one more thing that makes it impossible for people to come and do the same base level good stuff that everyone else is doing. Yeah
0: and do you think that then the current situation again talking about making our own stuff the fact that technology allows us not only to make it but also to get it out in the world is that a positive for all these things that you're talking about
1: yeah i think it's a huge positive obviously not everyone there are gr- great comics and comic comedy writers and all these potentials people who who still don't have the not not necessarily the technology well maybe don't have a good enough computer but also maybe haven't for whatever reason learned how to do this stuff and their skills gaps that I think can be filled for the most part and should be filled by people. Um, But yeah, I think it's amazing that people can make their own stuff and put it out. And I guess it's like, here's my perspective on this stuff now. Just make sure the thing you're putting out is like as good as you can make it and try to finish things and make complete products like that's why i love that you're like doing a put i think a podcast is a really good thing because a podcast is by definition a completed Mm -hmm. product whereas i i guess maybe a tiktok is but i'm less convinced that like an instagram story is i know people get very famous through those things but yeah you you you've always just got to make it easy for people to help you you, you have to help you have to help people to help you by giving them things that they want to buy rather than being like please invent something that you want to buy from me it's i think what do you think
0: i think that's really great what you just said i love that actually it make it easy for people to help you is is so good and it's a lesson that I've slowly learned like you know the you go through this thing of sending emails to people and you feel like you've got to say everything that you do so before you know it you've got an email that no one could possibly read in their busy day yeah because you but if I don't tell them about the the two weeks in China doing a workshop there that might be the (laughs) bit that swings it when actually it's much better to be succinct and have a place where people can see stuff Absolutely. And if Absolutely. they want to go any further with it, they'll go further with it. And if they don't at the moment, that's fine as well.
1: And if you're doing it, people will notice. But if you're not doing it, no one can like imagine the thing that you would do. I think that is the truth of it. There is such little imagination, really, for the most part.
0: Yes. And people get it wrong as well. You know, there's so many stories of really successful things that when you do the the one line pitch or the page pitch of it would be like what and people did turn them down because they just couldn't see it but somebody went right. away and made it anyway and then before you yeah. know you were I
1: and mean, you know i do all these things i'm in like bbc writers comedy writers room and things and like i've done various like little writing programs and things and i always i don't know if i should say this but it's like i always think like it's all well and good as all like writing our sitcom pilots but no one's gonna make my sitcom they're just not going to do it what, people who get their sitcoms made have done the phrase that we use is like you have to take the stairs right you most people don't just like write their script and get in the elevator and get to the top and the script is made most people have to like go out and gig make some videos online work up a character and then do that character with a friend in a different video meet a director who can direct their video meet someone who can film it and edit it and like there's nothing wrong with taking those steps. I know sometimes it feels frustrating to people, but it, that is the place where you learn. So when you get to where you, or closer to where you want to be going, you're really ready to just be like, I know what I want and I can make that happen. So I think it has some value, though it might be frustrating.
0: Great, I love it. Let's just talk about the sort of actual um, technicalities of writing, if we can then. What's yeah. a perfect writing day? What does that look like?
1: Well, my best writing. Well, first of all, so I, I am. Uh, I make most of my living as a writer, but not all of it. So, like, I do increasingly more producing as well, which which can sometimes include some writing, but often includes lots of admin tasks at the same time. As a writer, I do all kinds of different things. Like I'm not at the stage in my career where I just could like write one script and then that's my salary for the year. And for the most part, I don't even, I do write sitcom scripts and longer scripts and things, but, and I have things like in, things can be in, everyone says they have something in development, but it's Mm -hmm. like stuff can be in development for years and never, ever happen. It's very meaningless. So most of my life and work is topical gag writing. So um that could be on radio shows um, like the News Quiz or the Now Show or News Jack. And um, in my best job ever last year, it was for a show called Hello America on Quibi, which um, Nish Kumar hosted, which was like an amazing <laughs> mid-pandemic job. I like couldn't <laughs> believe it because it, it was American. So I think they just like had money. So you got paid well and you were in a writer's room. So you'd sit on a little Zoom with people these days, but mm-hmm. in real life, you'd get to sit in a an actual room with people, you know, and like, and write to little deadlines and really feel very productive so to me that's like a a, a really nice writing day is like a good task and then you just like follow it through and then um longer form stuff I write with um well I write with lots of different people I really think like collaboration is the joy of the whole thing um but mainly I write with uh my friend Chris who will come to my house and smoke lots of cigarettes out the window and then I'll type while he and I have a nice old chat um, and then we'll just like really try and get into a little world together and figure out the, the gags and the structure and then what we like about it it's a lot of problem solving but they're kind of that's I guess it's like I don't really mind how much I'm being paid on the way out of those days because I just feel so happy to be able to do it
0: and are you doing a, a writing day every day? And do you keep office hours when you're doing it, or when there's a job to be done?
1: No, absolutely not. And so I would never. I don't pressure myself to write because I think you never get anything done when you are trying to force yourself to do it. And I, I, I do agree with people when they're like writing. It, like, is perspiration? Just sit down and get on with it. Write something. I think there is. Definitely a time for that. And I've done a lot of that in my career. And I am a fan of just slamming stuff out. But particularly at the moment, I don't put any pressure on myself at all. I definitely, definitely need to write to a deadline. So if I do find it really hard to work on projects I don't think are going anywhere at all. And that doesn't include, obviously, that there are speculative projects that like I start and Chris and I are like, we want to write a script. And that to me is a deadline. But if, I, I'm not just sitting down and being like, "What could I put on the page today?" Like I always think about the form first because I want to finish things.
0: Yeah, so you're writing to a project. That's the always. thing, isn't it? Even if it's a an imaginary project, I guess it's completely. Point. Well, what a stupid to like, All projects are imaginary, aren't they? Those all are projects are there.
1: imaginary projects <laughs> to begin with. Well, sometimes that. Sometimes you're writing to like with sketches and things. You know, you're writing because you 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 have to be able to make that sketch. Um, so that's a fun type of writing as well to kind of think about, oh, I could do something so massive and huge, but ultimately it does need to be made with three people in one room. So like I have to pull it back to that point.
0: Yeah, those creative limitations. And that's, that's interesting when we talk about in the different work that you've done. If it's, we need a gag for such and such a show, which references this and that, I don't know if that's how it works. We need a gag yeah. about such and such a subject, those limitations are there. That's the job you're going to do it
1: completely. And then, so that kind of gag writing, I, I always kind of explain it like it's the it's just the maths test. It's the maths exam of writing, really, because you you're actually really just problem solving. You're not being incredibly wildly imaginative, particularly if you're writing for a specific voice on a specific show on a specific topic. Like you already then have three limitations, and then maybe there's even a specific cadence to the type of joke that they tell and joke structure and then you're kind of just swapping in words by that point maybe trying to think of something original to do on it but it's that's the thing that I find easy and enjoyable sometimes but over the last year I have obviously found incredibly draining and grating and hard because it's been the same topic a lot and also it's been like Even if you try and find the fun news, you're going to look at some really relentlessly horrible news on the (laughs) way. And then you have to try and be like, okay, how do I just step back from the horror of this and find something light to say?
0: (laughs) Do you think that there's comedy to be found in everything? And I suppose as an extension of that. Are there some things that are not fair game to have comedy? I think there's...
1: No, I think you can do comedy about absolutely anything at all. And that's why I do find it really funny, this like you can't say anything anymore brigade of like not very funny <laughs> men like, who, who seem to think that the fact that they're not saying anything very well means that they're not allowed to stopping say anything. Them
0: rather than Yeah,
1: no one's stopping you're stopping <laughs> you by not telling a good joke. I don't think anything's off limits. I think you really truly can joke about anything, and pretty much that has been proven. I think you joke well about things when you understand what your perspective on those things are and you're not you know people talk about punching down as a concept and it's like yeah I think jokes that just are mean for means we've all known mean people like playground bullies they can say a thing that's succinct that <laughs> for attention but that's not a like universally funny insight that's just like It has the sense of a joke, but it's not really a joke. Whereas, like, a good joke would have like a really clear perspective, a really clear subversion, a really clear like twist even in the structure of the joke. It would it would compare stuff to other stuff. It would like look at it through a specific lens. Um, And I think if you do that and you can find a way to do it, you can be funny about anything. But if you mess up, then that's on you, and you have to (laughs) take the consequences for your rubbish joke.
0: Uh, we'd mentioned earlier how subjective all of this stuff is what's been your experience with reviews and criticism and how have you found that how do you deal with it and has that approach changed and because I'm going to get as many questions as possible out of this one question um, does it differ depending on what, what the project is so is it different if it's your thing compared to some work you've done for someone else's thing if you see what I mean
1: interesting interesting so The first thing I will say is you have to think about who is doing the reviewing before you decide to get um, annoyed or upset or hurt by anything. And the state of reviewing comedy in this country and probably in the world is pretty limited. I think (laughs) a lot of people who review comedy love comedy and I share that with them. So good for them. But, um, They are mainly men and they are mainly white men. And I think, I mean, I don't know anything more about people's backgrounds except for that, but I think that does color maybe the type of comedy that you like and want to see if you don't challenge yourself. So the first thing I'll say is like, I'm not really interested in reviews that are like, I didn't get it or the audience seemed to be laughing, but I didn't understand it or And I see a lot of those, not so much for myself, but definitely for people I work with. And when people feel upset about them, I just think it's not, it's not for them. Like Mm. we're not making this show for those people, for this Mm. blogger. Like if they didn't get it and they don't like it, that's okay. Is it objectively offensive? Is it objectively sloppy or lazy or bad? Fine, (laughs) point out those things. But if it's just not for you, it's just not for you. And so that would never upset me. Um, and then as I move on through my career, all things that I used to have emotive reactions to m- pretty much across the board, aside from some like, deep inequalities in the industry, I think are not what they seem to be on the surface. For instance, a panel show. A panel show, right, is pretending that it's a game. It pretends it has a structure with rules and points. But no panel show In the world, no panel show in this country is really a game. They are not real. The Mm. the metrics of how you judge a panel show, for the most part, are literally not real, are like written beforehand. And if they are real, they're completely made up. Panel shows are a way to give comedians a little bit of space to be funny in conversation with each other. And when you start looking at comedy in the comedy industry like that, it kind of cracks everything else open. So it's like reviews are publicity. Getting reviewed is a route into some publicity in some place. And like, for the most part, people are paying for that publicity because they're paying for PRs to send reviewers to see their shows. And once you start seeing it for like its commercial aims, it's like, uh, I can't feel upset or happy about it either way. That's not the judgment. The only person who can judge what I make is me. I like If I like it, I'm happy. I think I watch a lot of comedy and I know what comedy I like and I don't seem to be consistently wrong all the time. So I think you just have to start leaning back and trusting yourself. What was the second part of your question? Can you remember? God, what long answers these are.
0: <laughs> Does it make a difference if it's your thing or someone else's thing? Um,
1: yeah, obviously it's like more feels more hurtful if it's about you. But if it's about someone else, I find it very uh, – like if it's someone else's – you know, I've written on loads of rubbish shows. I really don't care as long as I get paid. I'll write for any old thing. I'm, not, I'm definitely not for most stuff I work on. I'm not being like the injustice of someone saying that this, the, the news quiz isn't what it used to be like. I don't care. <laughs> it's nice to work. It's like great to work. If I had a nice day, I'm happy.
0: Cool. Um, finally, then tell us about some of the influences that got you started into comedy and also who we should be kind of paying attention to at the moment or stuff that you're enjoying now.
1: Very good. Well, so I think I just always like really would watch any old thing. Um, I I did really love, you know, um, things like I remember watching Spaced and loving space so much, partially because it almost felt like you could, I mean, obviously you couldn't, but it almost felt like you could make space. You could like, it seemed like an excellent version of something that was like almost achievable. Loved space, loved I mean, literally all sorts. And I watch so much comedy now. I recently just watched um, Pen15. Have you seen that? No. Oh, my God. You have to watch Pen15. It's amazing. It's these two women in their 30s, and they play themselves at 13, and all the other <laughs> actors in it are real 13-year-olds. <laughs> and it's played so straight. It's so beautiful. I loved, like, you know, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I love The Office, R.I.P. Richard <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, lo- I mean, so so many of those classic things today what should people be watching there are amazing comedians working across the board like obviously i really um l- love and respect uh my gal olga she does like turns out really st- funny stuff she's really funny on on social media uh, um I have a lot of respect for people like Kiri Pritchard McLean, is like absolutely prolific. She's been like running these amazing charitable gigs this whole time and also is like doing radio shows and like directing a show at the old vic or something. She's like absolutely amazing. Um people, people like Catherine Bohart, uh, Tanya Moore is a really fantastic um stand-up. And uh, I really, really love. Uh, Jen Ives on social media as well I'm like doing a little bit with her a little bit of work with her I I, I'm quite like cheeky whenever I spot someone unless they're really established and have been going way longer than me if I spot someone I really like I'll always try and find a way to work with them on something or to
0: approach them to do
1: something with them
0: that's really interesting and something that I've got out of doing this podcast actually is this idea that it's worth sort of sounding somebody out they can either ignore you or say no or say yes. Completely.
1: completely. And those reactions
0: can surprise you <laughs> quite often as well.
1: Because also people who are genuinely creative and are are building a, a business on it as well are for the most part i imagine and um, from my experience collaborative people and they want to work with or maybe speaking for myself like i always want to work with people who are like better at than me at things uh-huh. again that skills gap thing so it's like if i can meet someone who I think is doing something cool. And that's another reason to like make your work and have your work. I can be like, that thing is cool. I wanted, I know how I could make that thing better. Or I think that person could make something of mine better, but there's nothing more exciting than that. And then you just like try it a little bit. Some people you just work with once. Some people you're just kind of friends with or a sounding board with some people you have huge relationships with and like work with loads over time. That's what's been nice about these sketches, actually, because we can just we get people in for a a sketch and then if we get on, they write something for us and they come back and do another one. And hopefully we'll have this really symbiotic, amazing relationship going forwards.
0: Lovely. That sounds great. Okay. So Charlie, thank you so much for chatting to me. That was great. Um, where can people find out about you or stay in t- touch with you? I think Twitter's your, your kind of home, isn't it?
1: Absolutely addicted to Twitter. I also am on other things, but I am always yeah. on Twitter at uh, Charlie Dinkin, I think. Is I I can't even remember. <laughs> yeah, I think if you search my name, you can find me Charlie Dinkin.
0: And remind us of the podcast as well.
1: Uh, So my podcast that I made in the summer is called Seance Cast. It's written by 17 female women and non-binary writers, and it has an amazing cast. It's people like Amy Gladhill and Kyle Smith-Bino and uh, Alison Thea Scott, just like really incredible cast. Um, And that is available wherever you get your podcast. It's called Seance Cast.
0: And was that the one that you mentioned was through Hattrick?
1: Yes, Hattrick made that.
0: Fantastic. Okay, Charlie, thank you so much. That's been fascinating. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Join us next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers podcast. Until then, please subscribe, rate, and review, and have a look at robertlanemusic.co.uk to see the other projects I'm working on. Thank you. Goodbye.